Hey, Mama, I know that as a food allergy parent, there are so many seasons that we go through. And some of them we can handle the hard stuff. And some of them we just need to put that on pause and circle back to it at another time. This episode may be triggering if you're in one of the seasons where the hard stuff just feels really hard right now. And the stories of food allergy reactions can feel a little bit heavy. So if that's the case and that's the season you're in, I totally respect that. And I'd encourage you possibly to come back to this podcast at another time. I promise you that there's a reason I'm sharing these stories. And the reason is to save your child's life and to educate you on how you can do that. And also our community on how our community can support us by creating safe environments for our children with food allergies. I appreciate you really braving these episodes to advocate for our children with food allergies and beyond. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that my pediatric food allergy course, Fear to Freedom, is officially open for enrollment right now on emilynolan.com. One more thing before I jump in, I'm a mama, not a doctor. So the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a qualified medical professional. Any questions you may have concerning the diagnosis or treatment of a medical condition should be directed to your doctor or another qualified healthcare provider. I always get emotional when I'm talking to anybody because no matter how many times I tell this story, it always feels like it's the first time. You know, what had happened, what had transpired, what could have been prevented, you know, it's something that you know, no parent would want to experience. Researchers estimate that over 32 million Americans have food allergies, including 5.6 million children under age 18. That's one in 13 children, or roughly two in every classroom. About 40% of children with food allergies are allergic to more than one food. Nothing is more essential than training and certifying all school and daycare staff nationally in food allergy safety. Elijah's law is now mandatory in New York and Illinois and was signed by Governor Cuomo on September 12, 2009. It amended public law health to extend the life-saving protection that is currently in place for schools to all early child care programs. It requires all child daycare programs in New York to adhere to guidelines for preventing and responding to food allergy anaphylaxis. The new law is named after Thomas and Dina Silvera's three-year-old son, Elijah Silvera, from New York City, who was given a grilled cheese sandwich at his daycare despite having a known severe dairy allergy. Elijah went into anaphylaxis and was not given an epinephrine injection. Elijah died on November 3, 2017. Daycares are now required to implement proper guidelines for the prevention and recognition of anaphylaxis. This includes training, individualized healthcare plans, communication, and strategies to reduce allergen exposure. Elijah's Law, also known as the Childhood Anaphylactic Policy Act, HB 102, was signed into law by Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker on August 20, 2021. This legislation, which represents a watershed moment in the knowledge of food allergies, 
requires that child care centers and schools develop standards and give the training to recognize and avoid the danger of anaphylaxis in children and young adults. This crucial piece of legislation was passed in New York in 2019 and is now being implemented in Illinois, making it the second state to do so. In Pennsylvania, an expansion of the Elijah's Law Bill, HB 1259, was recently introduced to the legislature for review. I often speak of food allergies as being a silver lining for my family, and I know I am one of the lucky ones. I can talk about a silver lining thanks to those brave, selfless parents who came before me, encountered unfathomable losses like Thomas and Dina, and continue to march on, demanding better for Elijah and the 5.6 million children who have the same diagnosis. Thomas Silvera, Elijah's father, is joining us today to share how we can keep our children safe when they're in the care of others or at a school or daycare. We'll also be talking about what daycares and schools can do to help parents so the support is a two-way street. Thomas, thank you for being here with us today. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is definitely a well-needed conversation. No matter how many times we talk about it, it's something that needs to be in the forefront of so many conversations, especially when it comes to young children starting school or new parents who are unsure what they need to do uh, going forward. I wanted to first thank you and your wife and everyone at the Elijah Olivey Foundation for working so hard to keep our children with food allergies safe. Your tireless work and Elijah's legacy directly impact my child's well-being and all of the children of the parents who are listening and caregivers who are listening. And I know it will continue to do so for the rest of Oliver's life and beyond. It's, you know, it's, I'm, I always get emotional when I'm talking to anybody because no matter how many times I tell this story, it's, it's always feels like it's the first time Um, just to express everything, you know, what had happened, what had transpired, what could have been prevented. It's, you know, it's something that, you know, no parent would want to experience, you know, especially receiving that phone call. And um, yeah. We're with you. We are with you. And part of the reason, you know, this podcast is so important is so that not only do we have the information, but also we can support you and your family and your foundation. Tell us about how we can best set up our children with food allergies in safe environments when they're outside of our care. What should we look for? What questions should we ask? What precautions and preventative measures should we be taking? To, to answer that question, you know, especially parents, there's a lot of us that are very familiar in this space and we're very diligent and we advocate for our, our children and for ourselves, especially in any, any setting, whether it's a school, business, uh, play day, birthday parties, restaurant. But it's the main thing is always asking questions. If you're going to a restaurant, call ahead. Even when you get there, make sure that the wait staff all the way to management, to the chef, and coming back are familiar with the child or yourself's food allergens coming back because there's a lot of misstep along the communication line, you know, that we, you know, can be lost easily. You know, there's a lot of outlets that can keep the communication lines open from the table to the, the back of the restaurant. And also when it comes to childcare. Even if you cross your T's and you dot your eyes looking at, for childcare, you always still have to ask questions. It was like, okay, so are you trained in understanding the signs and symptoms of food allergies and anaphylaxis? Is your educators 
trained to use epinephrine? Um, what are your policies and procedures? What are your emergency action plans? Like, where do you keep epinephrine? Is the food staff trained on how to understand the signs and symptoms? Are they aware to read food labeling, whether it says may contain or made in a facility? There's so many questions that you have to ask. Even when you, your child does get accepted into the school, you have to be as like diligent and you have to make your presence known even when you're not there. That's one of the things that, you know, my wife was very strongly on pushing in the education space. And it's so unfortunate that we had to experience this event because we crossed our T's, we dot our I's. We've spoke to all the educators in the facility. We spoke even with the kitchen staff. They had prepared them a special meal plan outside of the regular meal plans for the children. The miscommunication wasn't with us. It was with the staff and the school. So, you know, when they're presenting something to a child and if an educator sees that doesn't belong to the child, why wouldn't you remove the, the food product? You know, when what happened to my son, the time had lapsed between the contact and you know how fast anaphylaxis works. When the multiple body systems happen, it's just it's it's just chaotic after that. It creates that catalyst of effect that there is sometimes no turning back. So when Elijah was suffering when when he was suffering, you know, I've read in some reports that, you know, they knew but they didn't know how to respond. That's one of the things that hurt because they could have saved him. You know, like, don't provide the comfort to parents in order to get your members up or to receive the money to continue with your child care centers. You know, when we drop our kids off at school, we want the educators to provide that same amount of care as we would as a food allergy parent or any parent that has a child with disability. Even if you were a babysitter, you still have to provide that same amount of care as we would because we entrusted you. We entrusted you to provide that care. If my child is sick, please provide them with the emergency medication that is needed. Call 911, call me, and then we'll figure out everything else from that point on. They didn't call 911. They knew he was suffering. One of the other things that hurts the most is that denying their action, you know, all the way up until we went into the emergency room, continued having conversations with them, continued denying. We didn't know that what actually he had ingested or came in contact with until a week later from the findings from the Department of Health. It gives me chills to talk about it because, and it's like, I need to talk about this because this is a very serious issue that educators and other parents with children with that don't have food allergies have to understand like the severity of this. You know, in an education space, the first reaction happens in childcare, unbeknownst to a child who has food allergies or parents who don't know their child with food allergies. But Elijah had multiple food allergies. He was also an asthmatic and he also had eczema. The writing was on the wall that it was like here, Here's the tools, epinephrine, whatever it is is needed. But, you know, always have to ask the million questions. Parents shouldn't feel that they're being cumbersome or bothersome to these educators to anyone. We're just trying to provide a safe space for your child because you don't want to receive that phone call. You don't want to go to school and say, oh, we accidentally gave your child something. He had a reaction, but he was fine. He can be fine at the moment, but even hours later, the reaction can create the catalyst with more catastrophe that can follow. It's not just within seconds or minutes, it can be within two to three hours that that can build on that. And also we talk about the internal systems reacting. 
that can be the only sign that can create the anaphylaxis without having any unknown like symptoms on the top of the layers of the skin. It just, it can go going on. And I was like, parents to be diligent, vigilant, ask questions, let your presence know, even when you're not there. So if something that will keep basically a hawk's eye on your child. So Ollie's school, I like to think and believe is wonderful. They have always been positive about caring for his food allergies, although it's been lots of extra work, as you say, on my end. Loads of additional paperwork from the doctors, state regulations that only allows epinephrine in locked cases or weird locations that are kind of inaccessible within two minutes of wherever Oliver, my son, is at during school. I do random checks at school to see where his auto injectors are, and I once found them in the refrigerator, which is not where they're supposed to be. And the point of my story is to echo what you're saying, you know, my son's school is, or so I think, doing pretty well as far as providing for his food allergies. They are pretty vigilant, and yet they still require these checks and balances to become even better. It takes a lot of bravery and courage to ask teachers and administrators to go along on this journey with us, as after all, it doesn't feel like a teacher's job to watch my child like a hawk, like you were saying, but it is their job, and we need to establish the confidence as parents to believe that. Should we ever feel bad, Thomas, about checking in with teachers and caregivers outside of the home on what their anaphylaxis game plan is? How often should we be checking in with them? What should we review with the people who care for our children with food allergies when we're not around? Um, How do we make the working relationships with school administrators, teachers, and caregivers feel positive and not condescending? I think the main thing is, is even before your child starts the school, meet with the educators, the administrators, everyone, the whole entire staff. And that's kind of like what we did originally. Sorry that my that school had dropped the ball on my son. You know, that's even a longer conversation. But that is the steps to take so you can have the confidence of your staff, the administrator, the directors or principals of the schools to understand what your son or your daughter or your child is, is affected with, whether it's food allergies, asthma, or diabetes, and so forth. Get them comfortable with knowing, even offer like a small training for them to understand and provide the necessary materials that they can either keep in their classrooms, keep in like the parents teachers association's office or with the, with the front desk staff, even with the security in the schools, you know, just get them all on board so they can feel comfortable and confident enough to know, hey, we got to watch our son, Ollie. He's a special kid that, you know, we want to make sure that he is in here safe and he leaves safely. It's it's a lot of that. Make, and, you know, do your checks and balances, basically. It's like, you know, come with a checklist. And, you know, even if you're – after you have that conversation with the educators and the administrators, take that time. Go, like, every other week and just do your due diligence and, and do your checklist and making sure that everyone is on, on board. Because that one little misstep can just change the direction and course of someone's life in an instant. You're not being overbearing. You're not being a helicopter parent. You're not being bothersome to, you know, some may think that, but when you're there and you give them this vital information in the very beginning, you no longer become that person. You become a parent that is concerned and wants to keep a child safe. We have to continue educating that space that doesn't understand and provide like, you know, if, you know, the, the educators or the child care center 
are up to doing like a small little, um, you know, workshop, you know, we all know how to use an epinephrine, you know, especially as food allergy parents, and we can teach them how to do that. A simple PowerPoint presentation will just uplift their spirits and teaching them like, you know, instead of like a webinar that shows you how to use an epinephrine or, or steps or you just reading it, you as a parent can go there and show them physically how to use it, how to inject it and what to do after those, um, the administration of the epinephrine. So these are things that, you know, as a parent that we should go in and feel confident enough to do it and not feel scared that you may get some pushback. You're going to get pushback probably, but not from the staff. You may get it from the other parents that are finding out that, you know, that you're trying to protect your child. If your child has a peanut allergy, why are you taking peanut butter away from the school? My kid loves it. I was like, okay, but my, my child can die. So let's figure out a more a balanced option where your kid can still have not his peanut butter, but bring in lunch that is more suitable for the environment that my son is in. We want them to be inclusive with everything in the classroom, in the lunchroom and everything. We don't want to isolate them to their small little table. You know, these are like the allergy kids or that's the, the diabetic kids. We, we don't want that. That just shuts them out. And then that creates a different type of mental health environment. I love Seeds PDS08 Pediatric Daily Symbiotic, and you probably already know that if you're following me on social media. I mix it with my son's daily multivitamin every morning in a beautiful espresso cup when I can to show him that self-care is a beautiful daily ritual. Also, because it contains the dual-phase prebiotic made of short and long-chain carbohydrates, it does take an extra moment to dissolve. This easy-to-use and sustainably packaged symbiotic, meaning it's a two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic powder is formulated for benefits in and beyond the gut. It's the first children's symbiotic with nine probiotic strains clinically studied in a pediatric population for benefits across digestive, respiratory, and dermatological health. The pediatric daily symbiotic also supports easy, frequent poops, which happens to be my son's favorite topic. PDS08 even bridges the fiber gap with five grams of fiber per serving. It's a meaningful complement to a healthy diet. Also, it's reassuring to know that the product is free from sugar, artificial colors, flavors, flow agents, binders, preservatives, and if you're listening to this podcast, and likely most important to you, free of 14 classes of allergens. Seed is offering my listeners a 20% code towards your first month. Just head to seed.com backslash Emily Nolan and use the code EmilyN20 to get 20% off your first month today. I love the idea of a checklist. I feel like that takes the pressure off of feeling like it's a personal attack, that every other week I'm going to come in and I'm going to, you know, scour the school and you know, whatever. I mean, ideally, that's what I'm doing. But the checklist is, you know, a piece of paper or digital PDF that you are constantly checking. And what I'm going to do is in the food allergy course, I'm going to include a checklist. And if you would help me create that checklist, we'll do it together and offer it to all of the parents taking the course so that they have a checklist they can go to school with or daycare and constantly run through it. Some of the questions that I've already written down are, um, 
hey, just a reminder, it's never too early to inject my son. Also, is his epinephrine within two minutes of wherever he's at? I wrote down about having a workshop. That could be maybe a seasonal checklist item. And we could come up with, you know, every other week checklist and then, you know, once a year and maybe once a semester type of thing. Uh, another thing that I wrote is, um, you know, check Ollie and his face after lunch and his he goes into bikes and play after lunch. Most kids do go into recess. Heightened exposures, you know, you have the exposure to the lunchroom, especially if your school is not not for your peanut free and your child has that type of allergy. You had a da- Elijah had a dairy allergy, and so every school allows dairy, you know, so even more risk there. Checking with the other parents if your child has a dairy or sesame or other type of allergy that the school allows into the school and saying, hey, I know the school's peanut tree nut free, but maybe our class can be sesame free. Here's a hummus that is sesame free that you can put in your lunchbox. Um, being a proactive parent, you know, these aren't on the checklist, but these are thoughts that I'm having that you could also include in your workshop for the parents in the class as well. I would love to offer that to the parents taking the course and also as a freebie download for our podcast, because it would be so relieving to know that, well, this isn't from me. This is from Thomas, you know? (laughs) No, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm always on board helping, you know, a parent or anyone to provide the awareness and the education that is needed. You know, when we go through the checklist, it's like definitely like, you know, one of the main thing is like letting the educators know that, especially when you're wiping down, you know, sanitary wipes are not what removes the allergen. It's soap and water can easily remove that. And adding those to the checklist and, and so many other things that can give that comfort to the parent when going in, you know, to, you know, to talk with the educators and doing those professional developments for the staff as well. Um, it just leaves so much room. And I always want to point out, it's like, you know, we have these schools that do fire drills, you know, every time they have AEDs, they're trained on first aid and CPR and fire drills. But this is something that a lot of schools should start encompassing in their whole entire workload. It's like, let's understand this, because if you can go understand how to do CPR, you don't, you don't get the certification just to get the job. You get it because in the event you need to save someone's life. So the same thing with fire drills. You have fire drills probably once a month. So you're trained. So how many times is there a fire in that school? None, but you're trained in the event of something happening. that You know how to evacuate everyone from the building. So let's learn how to train someone how to use an epinephrine because you understanding the signs and symptoms and responding to mitigate uh, the anaphylaxis going into an exacerbation of different multiple body systems, that's like you helping and saving them from a fire. You know, you want to put that fire out in that child by injecting them with the epinephrine. And, you know, and that gives you that room so that child is safe to get to the emergency room as soon as possible. You know, this raises an interesting thought. Most legislature, state legislature or schools um, require the epinephrine to be in a locked case. And that is the case in Virginia at my son's school or daycare. So we have it in a locked, it's up really high in a cabinet inside the school. He goes to an outdoor school though. So where's the epinephrine outside? So we, I bring an extra case for them and 
it's interesting because my three-year-old knew and knows how to inject epinephrine. What would be so empowering is to change the narrative around EpiPens and to empower our children or around auto-injectors, because some use AviQ, to empower our children to say, hey, this is a tool. If you ever see it on anyone, not just Oliver, you can save their life. Here's how. Make it really simple and just start training from a very young age in, in the same way that we would train with CPR, included in CPR courses, included in how to use AED. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, like with first aid and CPR, like when, especially when those that are getting mat trained, they, they're getting trained in how to um, administer medication, right? But when it comes to the epinephrine part, it's a very bare minimum because I've sat through that training. I'm not certifying it, but I sat through it just to see how they do it. And they show you how to administer epinephrine. Here's what it is. That's it. They don't go in-depth of understanding how to mitigate and cleaning and so forth and everything. So even with first aid and CPR, this is EpiPen, they have allergic reaction, inject. It's, it's about that much information. You know, we as food allergy parents, we have a bevy of information to provide to everyone. And I think that's that's so key. Oh, but I also want to let you know, we're about to submit a bill for Virginia. Wow. Thank you. Let me know how I can help and how all the listeners can help as well with their states. Actually, this is a good time to just share how can the listeners help, um, you know, or help implement the legislature in their state. You know, like for, every, for anyone who's listening, um, if you want Elijah Shola to be in your, your hometown, in your state, Reach out to your legislators, your assemblymen or women, your senators. Uh, you know, you have your your, your councilwomen or even your, um, your congressional team. Reach out to them. Let them know about this legislation. We also have to look into the guidance and policies and laws in each state. Um, one thing I can actually mention today, we are in the process of creating the Elijah Law Toolkit, which we've done our due diligence for every single state in the United States, even including D.C., that we know exactly where to implement Elijah's law. We've looked into every single finding from their stock epinephrine to their child care laws and everything. You know, with what most people want to know is like when you want to build on this legislation in your hometown, this is a child care, daycare legislation. And sometimes some legislations will build on the secondary school, but our focus is child care. Because with the anaphylactic policies and other policies, they're only geared to K through 12, which are voluntary guidelines. What we're trying to do is change the game on how we move legislation in each state and either create a mandate or create even more stricter policies. So, you know, we have a toolkit that's coming that will be downloadable. We have partnership with, with um, AAFA, Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, and other people who are joined on board to create this amazing toolkit that. It is literally the blueprint of how to move a legislation because Elijah's law is not just a law that's being implemented in the state just because to save children. We're creating a movement because we want to continue protecting children in childcare settings where parents can have a peace of mind when they drop their kids off at school. Because there will be a legislation there that a parent can bring to these schools and be like, hey, you violation of X, Y, and Z, you know, and getting like um, – specific departments of public health and so forth for child care, Office of Children and Family Service, who mostly governs a lot of those programs and child care centers to do their due diligence in making sure we keep children safe. 
like what we did in New York, it's amazing because these guidelines are <laughs> like you cannot escape these guidelines. You cannot escape these mandates. If you fall between the cracks and you create a violation, your your edu- your childcare center, whatever, you know, be re- fully one hundred percent responsible for because the training is there, all the education is there, the stock epinephrine is given. You have epipens like the IBQs that are given to the childcare centers in New York State. There's really no room for error, and the error if the error is there, that falls on you. Because there was one incident in New York that uh, a staff assumed that. It, you know, oh, the child, you know, child had it, but he was fine. You don't know that the kid actually had a reaction because you saw a little hives in his face and he didn't have a full blown anaphylaxis doesn't mean he was fine. You know, so they had to face that repercussion on that because every incident has to be reported and documented and so forth. New York State had created a whole system, both on a data side, a tech side, you know, informative side, just to make sure that because... You know, my son was under a child care system in New York State. New York State understood that they had failed that. They're doing their part to, to rectify anything that they have missed. And, it, and it's, you know, it means a lot to my family and I that New York State is moving that way. And us seeing this move in other states like Illinois, soon to be in Pennsylvania, Virginia, California. I'm telling you, we, we're, we're looking at other pieces of legislation everywhere. Just recently in New Hampshire, there was a watered down legislation that was kind of like moved. Um, there was a food allergy mom who was advocating for that. Mm-hmm. I helped advise her on it. But, you know, we're, we'll go back to New Hampshire and we'll we'll reintroduce Elijah's law fully, not in the version that they wanted. It's it's something that we want to do, not just for my son to have his, his namesake attached to it. It's that what about the children? Like we, we miss that communication when it comes to legislation. We need to bring that attention to everyone. And the parents out there, I, we want you to feel safe. And I implore you to go and go to the ElijahAllabyFoundation.org, reach out to me, send me an email, and I will be there to help you and give you the vital information that's needed to present this to your hometown. Thomas, thank you so much. You and your family are my family's heroes. Thank you for paving this path to a safer, creating safer environments for my child and the rest of the almost 6 million other children in the United States and globally. I just am so in awe of all of the work that you are doing and the bravery and courage that you and your wife and family have. Thank you. No, thank you. I, it's, it's a space and if I can speak on a louder platform, we can all do this together and change how we, we see everything. But every every voice counts. You know, you're doing your part. I'm doing my part. Everyone who had lost their child or a loved one are, are doing their part. And it's, it's unfortunate that we have to wait for tragedy to happen in order to create change. When will they start seeing that, you know, we need to change this space? Get your school or organization certified by the Elijah Alavi Foundation in Food Allergy Training and Preparedness. You can go to ElijahAlaviFoundation.org, which I'll include the link to their website in the free download for this podcast, and sign up to receive more info to get your school or organization certified. They also certify businesses as well in food allergy training and preparedness. These trainings are virtual and in-person depending on your preference.
Thanks for listening today. If you're not ready to get started with Fear to Freedom, my pediatric food allergy course, I do have a pediatric food allergy essentials resource with a ton, I mean a ton of incredible resources to get you started on your food allergy journey and healing your child with food allergies. You can download that right now on emilynolan.com and get started. If there's anything in this episode that resonated with you or led you to take action, I'd love for you to share it with me on social, as well as any other friends and family that have children with food allergies or newborn children who may not have food allergies, but you know, may have the possibility to prevent it with this information. Remember to rate and review this podcast. It's a great way to give other parents of food allergy children some much needed hope and encouragement. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. I am so grateful for all of your voices and support and love and I'm just sending you all a great big hug. Thank you.